0: This is something that I've experienced through my whole life playing football. People just don't believe me when I say I'm good at football. Like they're shocked and I feel like that mentality needs to change. Why are you shocked that I can play football?
1: There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Hour Game Two podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Okay, so now on the Hour Game Two podcast, we are joined by Rupa Gulani. Rupa, how are you doing?
0: Hi, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks Excellent. for having
1: me. Yeah, no worries at all. Looking forward to this. So, Rupa, before I started this podcast, in fact, no, let me let me start again. You're one of the reasons I started this podcast, because I had a, I kind of got an inkling about a year ago that all was not right in the world of football with regards to Asians playing and being involved, etc. And I started doing a little bit of looking around on the internet and stuff, and I came across a video that you made. So um so firstly for those who haven't come across it if someone wanted to find that video on YouTube what should they type into the search
0: um so the video on YouTube is called lack of Asian uh, lack of British Asians in professional football and my account is Rupert Galani so you should be able to find it with that
1: (laughs) so Rupert, can you tell us a little bit about the video in terms of how it came about who includes and what you're aiming for with
0: it yeah so I made the documentary for my master's final project um because I wanted to do something that I was passionate about um and so I used like my personal story and experiences and did research on the lack of British Asians in professional football because as a kid I always wanted to be a footballer but I never had like anyone to look up to like where I grew up as well there was like no Asians that played football even like everyone I played with as a child was like white and so it was always like weird for me when I thought about being a footballer which is why I didn't think I became one um and so yeah I wanted to like explore what the reasons were for that and like not just me but like the barriers that stop all Asians from making it to the top level
1: so when you said you're playing football, so whereabouts
0: did you grow up? Uh so South Manchester, um, did free, and I played football for Stockport County. Um, and that area is predominantly white. So I was the only person of colour that played in that team. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so Stockport Stockport County is a league club. So did they have an academy set up? What? How did you get involved with that?
0: Uh, no, so it was before at that age, like in the younger age groups, they didn't have like an academy as such. It was just you went to the trials and you either got in or you didn't. It wasn't like a proper academy set up. Um, so I just went with a couple of my mates because I played um, like mixed football with boys um, until I was 14. And then, like, everyone always used to kick off about, oh, why have you got girls in your team? So, like, me and one of my mates needed to find, like, a girls team. And then our coach said that we were good enough to, like, trial for Stockport County. So we went and, like, both of us got in. Um, but, yeah, that's how we got into it. And it, and then I played there for, like, until I was 17. So just before it would have gone into, like, the proper, like, adults
1: Okay. Why did you stop at 17? Was that because of education?
0: Yeah. And so it was like a mixture of things. So um, until that point, my dad used to take me to football and then he just got like busy with work and stuff. And like, like it was just a hobby. It wasn't like no one else told me that, like, oh, football could actually be a career. And I didn't think of it as a career option. So I just sort of stopped. and like. When I look back at it, I think there was also, like, the fact that I was the only person of colour. Even, like, the teams we played against, like, Berry, Rochdale, Man City, like, not... Like, I rarely came across a person of colour. Um And I just didn't feel like I fit in. Like, I, I just felt out of place. So I just, yeah, stopped.
1: <laughs> when you say... Okay, a couple of questions. When you say a person of colour, are you talking about black people as well, or...?
0: Oh, you? Really? Yeah. Yeah, like I, I really I think probably man City had one black girl in my age group that I played against every time we played them but every other team honestly there was no one so it was just really weird and I used to feel like people looked at me different because I was the only one yeah
1: okay and um so looking back at it do you think, How much of it, if you don't mind me asking, do you think was was in your head in terms of being aware that you're the only Asian or even person of colour on the field? And how much was it? Do you think people were either making comments, um, even if they were just, I guess, microaggressions or something? uh, I'm assuming there wasn't anything over said to you.
0: No, there was no like no one was racist to me, like to my face but it was just like just when you get that feeling that like you're different to everyone i don't i don't think anyone no one was like horrible to me i think i had coaches sometimes when they were new like cuz we'd get new coaches all the time they'd like speak to me in a patronizing way and like people would be shocked that i was good like this is something that i've experienced through like, my whole life playing football. People just don't believe me when I say I'm good at football. <laughs> like, they're shocked. And I feel like that mentality needs to change. Like, why are you shocked that I can play football?
1: Okay. And then you went to university. Did you play football at university?
0: Yeah. So I trialled and got into the team. I played for the 11 aside side and for the futsal. So I was playing football, like, five days a week at uni. <laughs> it was, like, the best. <laughs>
1: Cool. And then, so how did, how did the video come about in terms of, I mean, all right, there aren't very many Asians are involved, especially in a professional game. Um, So I know there's no visibility. Um, How, but did you realize before you started making a video that there might be obstacles and barriers, or was it just a curiosity
0: thing that led you to that? Um, so obviously I had to do a lot of research before I started making it because it was like totally from scratch. It was just a thought that I had, like, um, and then I did a lot of reading, and that's when I came across um Dan Kilvington, who you had on one of your podcasts, um, and he's in my documentary. And like he's done so much work on British Asians in football, and so that was the first person that I went to speak to. And then he sort of answered a lot of my questions and like that helped me structure the video in terms of like, because obviously he's done research into why there aren't British Asians in football, like in terms of like physicality issues with parents. um, And that's how I like structured the video, like based on that research. (laughs)
1: Okay. And so I know in the video you've you sort of seem to have traveled around, you've been to some award ceremonies, etc. How, how long did that whole process take and how did you have access to all of those events and people etc?
0: So that was all just my own like research again, just looking at what was going on and um, asking around really like I went to the Calcer um, football tournaments in Birmingham and that was through a friend. So I've got a mate who's a football coach, and um, he told me that he he like coaches at Luton, um, and that his son plays in this tournament, and it's like exclusively for Asians. And so I was like, yeah, I can go and film that; it'd be really good for my documentary. So it was like that, just like asking people that I knew, um, and just like messaging people. I went to the Asian sports list. Um, I wanted to go to the Asian Football Awards, but it was like I only had one summer to make my documentary because it was for my masters. Um, if I had longer, I would have like included a lot more in it. I think.
1: <laughs> okay, and did it doing all your research and putting the video together? Did any was there any surprising conclusions that you came
0: to? Um, surprising. I don't know, really. I thought maybe when I spoke to people that they'd say that parents were a bigger issue in it. Um, but like everyone that I asked about whether like their parents like were a reason that they didn't play football, they were like, no, not really. So that was surprising for me because that that's what a lot of people say, like, oh, because your dad wants you to be a doctor, you can't be a footballer. So that was probably something that was quite surprising.
1: OK. And so for, on the back of the video, what do you think are now, I guess, partly having had some time to reflect, etc., um and talk to other people, what do you think the main barriers are to, to Asians playing football?
0: Uh, probably, like, racism still, I think. Like, not overt racism, just, like, the way that most scouts will be white and they'll like, and just the whole system of how like footballers are found, I feel like it neglects all people of colour. (laughs) Um, And yeah, just that basically for me is the biggest barrier.
1: (laughs) Okay, cool. And with yourself, you said how it's stopped you playing football. What have you done since? Have you tried to overcome that? Are you playing for anybody at the moment?
0: So, I played during uni for my uni team. And then after uni, I didn't play from, during my masters because I just had a massive workload. But now I play five aside and seven aside three times a week. Well, obviously not right now because of COVID. But yeah, um, but that's just like casual um, with like women. Like it's like on the meetup app, we just get together and play like a few times a week, which is really good. And okay. hopefully I'll just keep playing forever now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Fair enough. Um, no interest in joining a team or anything?
0: I don't know. I think so. But at the moment, because like, obviously I just finished my Masters and then I had, like, I've like i had a bit of experience. I want to try and get a bit more experience and try and use my skills to find a job in like the sports world still. But I might join an 11-a-side team because I miss it a lot. <laughs> Cool. And what sort of
1: feedback have you had from the, from your documentary?
0: Um, a lot of good feedback. (laughs) Um, I think people really like that it's sort of straightforward and addresses the issue. Like, um, and I feel like it's inspired a lot of other work. Like you said that it was one of the reasons for the podcast, um, And like I've had other people tell me that they they like wanted to do projects on it because of it as well. So I think even though it's not that like complex, it it asks questions and like puts the topic out there. And that's what like a lot of people have said about it. Like it's good that you're just like addressing the issue. (laughs)
1: OK, fantastic. So you've done you've done that, done the video, you finished your master's, etc. What have you done since then as regards to football?
0: Uh, so through my master's, I got an internship at Man United um, and as a massive Man United fan, that was like a dream. <laughs> um, so I worked and then through that internship, like I got a job in their social media department. So I worked for them for like a year and a half. Um, freelancing and then pretty much full-time until December so I just left Um, just because it felt like it was straying away from football again like going too much into social media and it just wasn't what I wanted to do like the reason that I did a a master's in sports journalism was because I wanted to like at least if I can't play football I want to talk about it Um, and then I ended up in a job where I just wasn't like talking about football. I was just scheduling stuff online. So it just yeah, I I left that, and now hopefully I'm like in the process of applying for jobs in like more journalism stuff.
1: <laughs> so what kind of other than the social media? What else did you do whilst you're at Manchester United?
0: Um, so I. I was like my internship was in the wider media department so I did stuff for like helping out with MUTV the website and the magazine and because I did my um, bachelor's degree was in languages so I speak Spanish and Portuguese I did a lot of like translating for them and like interpreting for footballers at the media days which was also like a massive dream (laughs) but then Unfortunately, like, the only job that was available at the time was in social media. I feel like if they'd offered me a job for, like, MUTV or something, that would have been, like, the direction that I wanted to go in. But there's, it's, like, really hard to get a job there. <laughs> and, yeah, it's hard to, like, climb the ladder as well. I didn't feel like I was moving anywhere. So I just, yeah, left that.
1: <laughs> How did you find the the balance. i mean you said that people you weren't talking about football as much as you would have liked did you mean by that either in terms of what the job entailed or was that with the people that you were working with
0: um i think the job um because it's like just not uh, this is like my opinion and it might be straying a bit but i feel like the premier league on a whole is just not about football anymore (laughs) like and you can see that like working for the club like I just saw that the importance of things that I wouldn't I wouldn't say are important like obviously all the sponsorships and like marketing stuff that they have to do um and all of that I just don't like it and yeah so that's what put me off (laughs)
1: One of the things that I do, I'm part of a fan group, an official fan group called the Bame Hammers, and we have interaction and engagement with with the club, with West Ham. And one of the things that we're going to talk to them about at the moment is their marketing and their communications, because we feel it's straight not so much straight away from football, but we don't think they've got the balance right at the moment between the commercial interests of the club. And the football interests of the fans, and we understand that the two, they they go hand in hand and they they have to for for the club to be successful. From the outside and being a little bit anti-Man United, isn't that right, Kev? Um, It feels like Manchester United especially is um, very commercially driven. So do you think that's the problem, that there's too much emphasis on the commercial side?
0: Yeah. For me, yeah. that And like as a fan, it was ruining, like seeing all of that was ruining like the fan experience for me, which is kind of why like I'm too much of a fan. I basically couldn't stay there because of that commercial overload. <laughs> like I just didn't like it. And yeah, they need to like, I think it's only going to get worse. Like they need to try and balance it out. But it yeah, it's just becoming more and more commercial, I think.
1: Okay and in terms of the people that you were working with what were they like were they ardent manchester united fans too or were they just doing a job and that was it
0: um, they actually weren't manchester united fans um which was also another reason that i was kind of frustrated in that role like um, as a fan, working for your club, and the people you're working with don't even support the team, it was yeah really frustrating um and there'd always be like, I would disagree with things, and like after a loss i I'd just be like,' no, don't, don't post that,' and like people wouldn't get it because they weren't fans, and there was loads of that, and I just didn't like yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs>
1: okay, so do you think? Um, all right so you've 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 got your journalism background etc and you're you're looking to to continue that do you think that if they did have fans working in the club and they were in charge of everything that was going out, then do you think that's right or do you think it's better that if they if they're not fans so they can keep that that sort of equilibrium in terms of the finding the right balance between the commercial side and the fan side?
0: See, that's the thing. Like everyone said to me when I left, like it's good because you need detachment so you can enjoy it as a fan. So maybe it is best that people that don't support the team work for it, but then you're always going to have that, like, like fans aren't going to agree with stuff when they see it. Like, if, you, if the official account's, like, posting when we're losing and all the fans are just, like, shut up. Like, you can see the detachment a lot. So it depends if, like... Obviously, the focus is, like, commercial gain and, like, getting more engagement. So maybe it's better that fans don't work for the club,
1: I guess. See, <laughs> just to bring you in, I don't know how much reporting on West Ham you've done, Etc. How difficult did you find it when you were doing your journalism side to to
2: remain remain um, impartial? I think impartial, the word you yeah. is impartial, right? Um, you switch on your hat. So if you're a profession, you're getting paid for it. Well, that's your role. You have to tap into that. It's it's difficult because um, I've I've covered I've covered West Ham games where they lost. Um, I was at the Guardian when I did the internship there. We it was a a season before we got promoted, and we had a bad loss at the weekend. And you have to write a piece, which is just straight down the middle. You're like, this is hard. It's hard. But um, what I was going to say was, should clubs be so partisan with their media output? Because we've got a lot, a rise of a lot of fan. Uh, accounts now I found fan pages YouTube channels everything else and they provide that kind of partisanship when it comes to sports so, or uh, to the team right so if just for United when they win they're happy when they lose and the best, best example is AFTV right because um, we all go to that channel when Arsenal lose because it's fun <laughs> you know you're going to get a fun thing but I don't think the club would be doing that kind of, kind of uh, partisanship response yeah um, but I guess when when you're a fan it, like, like Rupert is, and you go into the club and you're in an environment where you you think that people haven't got the best interests of the club either. Um but ultimately I like to think that they're all professional in their role. So they're 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 professional to their job title. And sometimes if you've got a Liverpool fan who has to praise United on the socials, it's gonna, be of a, you know, it's gonna feel a bit sick in the mouth, but he's got a job to do, and that's what he's getting paid to do. So I would like to, I see where Rupert's coming from, um, but that might have something to do with the way we consume information now. Before, where would you get your information about your team? It would be on, if you want to go back a few years, on CFAX, right? You start the club page on, on Teletext, right? We don't have that anymore. We've got so much content, so much access. You just type it in and there's hundreds and thousands of accounts out there. I think it's okay for the club to be almost down the middle sometimes and not be too fan appropriate do you want do you
1: want to say i do yeah. I think. i think it's difficult for the club to win i mean I, like i said i see some of the background stuff at west ham because of my involvement etc and so sometimes i understand what the club's trying to do but then i guess that's the thing the beauty is that fans one they're never satisfied and there's now access to so many ways they can amplify their voices and voice their displeasure
2: wouldn't you say uh, in your example, Rappu, that you're, you're part of a supporters group and there's not just one supporters association, there's many, right? Yes. And you all provide a voice to particular parts or particular sections of fans, should we say? And that's why now with the expanding number of fan groups and everything else that's come about, everyone feels like that should be the voice of the club. Whereas I remember before there was the West Ham supporters association and they had the, the, the little... Kind of building outside the stadium at Upton Park, but now you've got so many groups that are relevant to so many different sections and sectors of fans. The club is a no, in a in a no win situation, I think, because they're trying to be straight down the middle to appeal to all. But when you've got that kind of approach, well, I don't think the they're winning anyone, right?
1: All all is too is
2: too broad. It's too wide. You you it's need. Like, to... Take for example yesterday, right? You know, well. We should have won that game, right? Winning 3-0 and then we draw 3 all with Arsenal. West, West
1: Ham against Arsenal because we were a couple of weeks time. Hopefully we'll have forgotten it by the time we publish this episode.
2: <laughs> but it's a good example of what was on their socials. So they put the goal up from, from Jesse. Cracker. Goal of the season. Got to be, right? Um, and you see the way the caption is written. It's like, this is the amazing, blah, 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 blah. And then the full-time result is, yeah, we drew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that, that captures a bit of they, they said it's almost like a reporting factor Do you know like with journalism you're, you're reporters of, of events you're reporters recorders of history right so social media has become that record of history as well and sometimes you have to put up that post even if you'd lost, if we lost 4-3 it would be bitter but they could not not post they would have to post something and they just play it straight down yeah we lost 4-3 or 3 or that kind of thing right um, but I don't think I don't think uh, club official accounts are in a winning situation anywhere because you just have to read the comments underneath. It's um, Sometimes it's a joke. Sometimes it's hilarious. But everyone feels like they've got a say now in how things should be done at their club. And that's think, extended now when it comes to the social accounts as well. I
1: mean, people are looking for... Whatever they're looking for, they're going to find. So if they don't like something, yes. they're going to find something to not to like. Give an example. When... I think it was the Leeds official account when... What's her name? I can't remember her name now. But when she said the comment about perhaps Leeds are doing so well because of... Or they went up because they had the break, et cetera. I understood the point she was making. I think all the Leeds group... Uh, official Twitter... They just put the eyes up, didn't they, or something? The,
2: I don't yeah, think they, they did much they put the, they put the clip They put the clip up. Yeah. And then they put the eyes. It's like, well... yeah. You know what you're doing there, aren't you? you yeah, know what yeah. You're doing.
1: And then that's blown up, and a lot of people have, yeah. which is now the their Twitter has gone towards the fan side of things, mm. and and that's caused an uproar in itself. And I think, which I think is misplaced. I think it's the people that were that were saying in the comments. They're the ones that need to be vilified in all of this, not the social media account.
2: Mm. True. I don't
1: know. Kevin, what's your thoughts?
3: Um I've I've always had the feeling that fan accounts are representative of what the people feel. So for example, I'm a man, I'm a Man United fan as well. And I was reading through Twitter last night after the um the Leicester defeat, and they actually had Ollie out trending. And this is why I think social media is so dangerous when it comes to football club, And I can I completely understand why people who run fan accounts and social media accounts have to be so careful because one slip up or one mistake, as we saw in Karen Carney's case, you can have an epidemic of abuse aimed at a particular group of people or a single person. And this just comes back to the whole argument of is social media productive or unproductive towards a club's aims or towards an individual group of people's aims. So if we're going back to the aim of this podcast and in terms of you know discrimination against Asians and racisms we need to figure out a way in which clubs can use their platforms in a way which doesn't draw negativity towards the topic of racism and it draws a positive light to it and my feeling at the moment is is that because all we ever do is talk about race in the media you're stirring up a lot of hatred against ethnic minorities which isn't necessarily warranted we need to have a an undertone to solve these issues that we have I, I know i've gone a bit off topic here but i'm trying to relate it back to the to the purpose of this podcast right and i feel that if we can use these platforms that football clubs have in a positive way without completely upsetting the apple cart and going under the radar a little bit you'll slowly start to change people's views without causing a ruckus over it and that that's just my feeling i'd, I'd be interested to know what you guys think of that but I was just trying to relate the idea of social media back to the purpose of this podcast and how we can promote change without upsetting the apple cart like we are at the moment. And I think there's more productive ways of going about promoting a message of diversity or a message of inclusion than just telling people that you are all wrong for your for having the mindset that you do and you have to change. We need to give people a reason to change. I don't know what you think of that. Yeah, I'm sorry to go off topic. I just I was just thinking about how when you were mentioning about how fan accounts have such an impact on the team, and how um, Rupa was mentioning about how she had to be so careful about what she posted after a team lost. That just got me thinking about how that relates back to the message that we're trying to convey from this podcast, and how careful we need to to be when we use social media accounts. Now, like even the accounts that I run, I'm really careful about what I tweet because I don't want to say something that someone might be offended by. Um, these sorts of things need to be taken into account now, especially when you're working on a global level, like a club like Manchester United, who reach probably billions of people in some in some areas. The message that they promote and the way that that message is sent across to people, it needs to be done in the right way so that they evoke the right response from people. I don't know. Again, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but yeah, I'm sorry to go a bit off topic. but I wanted to bring it back to the focus of the podcast.
1: So Rupert, in terms of the kind of people that were working in the in the social media department, um, how how diverse was it, and what, what were the what were the main aims of that group? Was it to to engage with English fans, or was it very, or they were very much aware of having a worldwide audience?
0: So in terms of the first part so diversity of the team um it was I was the only person of color again (laughs) um in like the media team so that was in the social media team but then also in the media team which was like 30 people so that's including like website and everything so not very diverse um and then the aims was to engage with the global fan base, I think, more than... Which is another thing that annoyed me, because I'm a local fan, like, from Manchester, and a match-going fan, like, I have a season ticket. So, like, whenever I'd try and, say, for example, want to post something with a caption that would relate to Manc fans, it would be a no, because the global fan base wouldn't understand it. So it was always about, like, engaging with the global fan base. Um. But, yeah, in going back to what Kevill said as well about, like, um, the racism on social media, like, I think um, a lot of football clubs, I'm not saying Man United, but, like, in general, they have, like, or they, they'll just ignore when fans are racist in the replies to their tweets and stuff. And I think a lot more needs to be done with that because that's such an easy thing to do. Like take that platform away from someone, like block them and like, they just won't do it. Like they won't block them. And that's such a simple thing that you can do. Um so, yeah, I feel like it's, and for football clubs as well, like they have contacts with the head of Twitter and the head of Instagram. It's so easy for them to just be like, can you suspend this account? And they're being racist. Um, but they just don't do it. So I think like, there are like loads of little things that like football clubs can do to like try and like get rid of racism. Do you you think then that clubs
3: (laughs) place, sorry, let me rephrase my question. Do you think that clubs don't highlight these individuals or they're very careful about the messages they put out on Twitter then because they're, they're worried about upsetting or marginalizing a part of their fan base that maybe do hold racist views. And do you think that's the reason why they don't respond to um, messages of racism on their accounts or they don't take them as seriously as they should be doing without obviously compromising your position in terms of your response obviously I completely understand the position you're in.
0: Um, so I think like they just have a really strict like way of dealing with fans in general so most of the time with responses they're just ignored um just act like they're not there and I guess in a way that is like, if you don't give it any attention, then it's it's like putting it down, like it's not there. But then um, people can still go on social media and read that. Like, So, for example, if someone is racist and their replies to a tweet um, towards players, the players are going to see that. So it's actually harmful for them. Um, so for me, I think they should put more importance on like, um trying to like stop that from happening but they just don't. there
3: was there was a tweet i can't remember which club it was by it was promoting lgbtq um principles within the club as part of their diversity codes i can't remember which club it was so f- forgive me anyone that's listening but they put a tweet out and they actually blocked the comments on that tweet so no one could actually respond to it unless they were being followed by um the club itself so Is that an angle that we should probably look at then, moving forward so that we don't have these messages for people to see and therefore if they do hold racist views and they can't repeat them? Or do you think that shuts off that fan interaction which is so important?
0: I think rather than having that where no one can say anything, you literally need to have like maybe create a role where someone is going through and deleting them. Like rather than, because then all the good's gone as well, which is you want that. Um, And I think that I found that a lot with the women's team as well, covering them, like there'd be so many comments, like saying like, oh, like just basically saying women shouldn't be playing football, like get back in the kitchen, like just United fans replying like, oh, we don't care about the women all the time. That's why they had to make a separate account for the women's team because of all of that. Um, And I would just sit through and delete those comments. And I think that is, a better way to do it because it's like shutting them down but like on a like bigger level it should be instagram and twitter and like facebook that are just suspending those accounts Mm. like why is there no one doing that take the voice away from those people
1: yeah something that um there's an open letter wasn't there recently from from several organizations kicking out the fa pfa pgmol uh, i can't efl P- epl to the social media companies asking them to do more and take more action i think that's where it's interesting with when we're talking about diversity and you saying there wasn't much there and i think if there is diversity then more people can talk about the impact and understand and have empathized with the impact that those kinds of comments will have, which may lead to different kinds of responses.
0: Yeah, I think, like, it was one of the things that, like, was said in my documentary, that, like, the actual diversity, at like, the top levels in football, there needs to be more. Like, there's none. It's all, like, um, middle-aged white men in charge of everything. And like, that needs to change. Otherwise, there's never going to be, like, empathy towards these issues. So it starts from that level.
1: <laughs> you also work with... Do you still work with the Manchester United Museum?
0: Yes, but because of COVID, it's not been open for, like, a year. So, no, as well, at the moment. Okay. But, yeah, no, when it opens again, yeah. And that's just, like... a part-time job doing like museum work for the tours of the stadium. Yeah.
1: So surprisingly, I've never been to the Manchester United
3: Museum. Is is that quite a big operation? I mean there's a lot of trophies in there, Apu, you know, some of you might not have at West Ham. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a massive Ooh. trophy room. <laughs> um yeah, no, the tour's really good. Um but again I think it's just all about making
2: me. it must be a bit dusty though isn't it? you haven't won anything in a while hey touche <laughs> touche takes one to know one <laughs>
0: no i think there's so many like so many like people come from all over the world to see it like there's just it's crazy like i would speak five different languages in one day speaking to all the people that came from different places <laughs> like yeah it's just crazy <laughs>
3: That's one thing that's really striking about Man United and particularly football in this country in general is that we do have such a global population. And yet we do face so many diversity issues in this country, particularly in football. If you could pinpoint maybe like two things, why do you think that happens? Because if I think of Man United, I think of a global brand and a global club. And yet we're still here talking about racism over social media. So based on your experiences as someone who's been involved in the social media side of things, Have you recognised a trend of why maybe these things happen?
0: Um, I think it's... Like, because I have the fan experience too. And I feel like, for me, that... Like, I've experienced more racism as a fan, like, going to games and stuff as well. Um, And that's all from local fans, obviously. Like, and even, like, one game at Old Trafford, um, it finished and me and my sister were walking out the ground... And two policemen said to us, this is outside the ground, like, are you lost? you need directions? And laughed as if we're tourists. Like, um, and we have season tickets. So I think it's it's a lot to do with, like, the local area and the fans and police and just people, like, in the area that are racist. Mm-hmm. And, like, even working at the museum, we'd get, obviously, loads of fans from, like, India, China, everywhere, Um and then you'd also obviously have people from Manchester coming to the museum. And, like, you could just see that they they didn't like it, that we had so many, like, people from everywhere else coming, like tourists. So it's just, like, there's just a massive problem as, like, that global, like, fans from everywhere clashes with the hardcore local fans yeah. that just want it to be their club. yeah. <laughs> In terms of the
1: Manchester United fans, because, I mean, every time I've been, there's only once I've been to Manchester United and I wasn't in the away end. So that's all I see. And, and obviously, with West Ham, travelling fans, vast majority are white, vast majority, probably overnight, well over 90%. How, so I know Manchester, I studied in Manchester, so I know it's quite a diverse multicultural city, What's the crowd makeup like there? I won't
3: ask Kevell because he's from London. He I, be I actually, place. I had season <laughs> tickets there for two seasons, but you know, <laughs>
0: Woo. that's why the fans, like away fans, are saying we'll race you back to London. <laughs> 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 uh, no, I think it's it's weird because Old Trafford is is quite diverse, but yeah, away games are definitely like predominantly white and that's when you'll get like cuz i go to away games too like you'll get like the fans looking at you like why are you here as if i shouldn't be there with them and like when you like i went to the etihad for a game a couple of seasons ago with my dad and we were sat like right on the edge of the away fans and the city fans with just the stewards between us and all game, there were City fans just being racist to us. And, like, the stewards did nothing. They were saying it to the other fans around us about me and my dad. Like, oh, look who you've got supporting your team. Um, And obviously abuse, which I'm not going to say. <laughs> um, And they would, like, the, our fans wouldn't stick up for us. Like, they wouldn't say anything back to them saying, like, why are you saying that? It's racist or anything. And the stewards wouldn't say anything. So... Um, yeah, I think it is like predominantly white um in like most like most away games, and then Old Trafford is more diverse, but I don't understand because it's just so hard to understand. We have so many like fans from everywhere, but there's just still racism. I don't get it <laughs> i it, I just don't know how to understand it,
1: so do. <clears throat> is there is there abuse directed at fans who are i'm assuming that at old Trafford you also get the half and half scarves and things like that which i i guess unless it's a young kid getting it it's more of a giveaway that someone's a tourist if they're going for one of those I could be wrong I've got no idea um what what's what sort of feeling what's what's the sentiment towards those kinds of fans doing it is it one, as you said, of look, you're this is our turf. Why why are you here? Or is it yeah, you support the same team as us?
0: Um I think probably like people will look at them like, yeah, why are you getting that scarf? Why are you here supporting this team? You don't even support it properly. Like that's the view of that. But I don't know whether that's I don't know whether it's like to do with racism or it's like they just shouldn't be getting a half and half scarf because that's my opinion. Like, I'm not. I'm obviously not being racist. I'm just like, why are you buying a half and half scarf?
1: <laughs> I'm going to show you at this point the worst Secret Santa gift I've oh. ever received, which
3: was. Oh, I thought you were going to hold up West Ham tickets. <laughs>
0: look how it says West Ham and then United
1: yeah the bloke who got me it was a Secret Santa <laughs> gift and the bloke who got it for me he thought it was a good idea he, he knows nothing about football <laughs> half of the scarf is and great my 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 face when I unwrapped it and his reaction to my face was was hilarious to other people not to me <laughs> to him but so if you if you received abuse I'm I'm a little bit surprised that you've yeah am I surprised I don't know how so with the city fans singing bad stuff about you etc did you how uncomfortable did you feel like did you at any point fear for your safety or anything like that or was it just unpleasant
0: um it was bad because my dad got really angry and he was like obviously like shouting back like why are you saying that and then shouting at the stewards for not saying anything and I was like dad don't get us kicked out I was trying to watch the game I couldn't even watch the game because it was like everyone was just kicking off um but like I just thought it was awful that the stewards didn't do anything like um and it is it is really uncomfortable. And to be honest, like most of the experiences that I've had with racism have been with Manchester City. And I think that that's what makes it clear that it's like the local people that have the issue because city fans are mostly from Manchester. Like you'd like how we have fans in London and everywhere else, like um, City are mostly Manx and like white people. Um and so I don't know, all of the experiences that I had with racism are with City fans pretty much at away games. And then at Wembley even, like after an FA Cup final, we had abuse off them. And yeah, it's it's not nice when it happens, obviously.
1: I'll be honest, I, I, I just wonder if it's more the rivalry thing because I studied in Manchester. So I went to Main Road, lost count. Maybe fifteen, twenty times over the three years I was there. Um, obviously, Main Road was, tells you it was a wh- long time ago. Um, nothing, no issues whatsoever. Wow, I don't recall a, a single thing.
0: Yeah, maybe so, it was then. Like, but obviously, that's not an excuse for racism. Like,
1: no, like it's not. It, no, no, yeah, no. For no. it
0: being the rivalry, but I guess the rivalry is what's making them more like angry. And they think it's OK to just be racist because of that, <laughs> which is you not
1: know, OK. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know, Kevin may have a better answer to this. I think with rivalries and things like that, it's just they're just looking for a way to hurt other people, be it more likely mental as opposed to actually physical. Um, and And if they think being racist is the most harmful thing they can say, I think that's what they'll go for. What else are you doing with regards to football? Did you say you're doing some coaching badges at the moment?
0: Yeah. So when I was in like high school and college, and then the start of uni as well, I used to do like summer schools. So just coaching like kids over the summer, and that was with no like I hadn't done my badges or anything. It was just because that I'd played for those clubs in the past, and I did it at my school as well. Like they just called me back over the summer to like coach at their summer schools, and I actually really enjoyed that, and then it was actually listening to your podcast and like listening to the other guests that you've had on. I was like, "Why don't I do my coaching badges? like what am I doing um, so yeah i I've just started doing like the f- online courses for it, um and then they're starting the actual like the first one like later in spring, I think so. Yeah, hopefully I'll get that done as well.
1: <laughs> cool, fantastic. Um, so before we start to wrap up, you got any questions?
2: Yeah. So um, you've had this interest in, in journalism. Have you done anything besides a documentary for yourself, like any any blogs or just um, just your own like independent pieces?
0: Um. So, because I was working for United, it was like consuming a lot of my time and life, so I couldn't really spend time doing my own stuff but I did do stuff for like fan channels um and stuff like that so it's not I guess it's not really journalism but it was still like being on YouTube (laughs) um uh yeah no I I think just working for United took up a lot of my life and now I've got time to do things like this um and more journalism stuff which I like (laughs)
1: I'm just going to go back a little bit to ask you something, um, like I said i'm part of a a fan group where the Bame hammers were recognized by the club and by the FSA, which is the football supporters association, etc. One of our aims is to try and encourage more of the local community, which is very much very mixed to go to more West Ham games um, given what you've said about your experiences as a Manchester United fan do you know if there's anything like that at Manchester United do you think there needs to be is that I mean I'm sure there'd be an appetite from the fan side of it but with the club being such a global brand etc I'm not sure how much credence they give to it have you considered that or have looked into that at all
0: yeah after you like mentioned it um about West Ham having it like I did think why is there not anything like that at United because we do have a lot of fans like that are like BAME um but I don't think like because the club have stuff that's specifically for fans from India like this I love United thing it's for it's like a they have special like podcasts and things just for those fans in India and then they come over here they have like they organize trips and stuff but there's i don't think there's anything just for like fans from England um so i think maybe there should be something like that um so yeah you'll probably have to tell me how i can set that up <laughs> and then I can... okay. yeah yeah i'm just
1: i'm just wondering how they see if there's a lack of diversity etc how that would feed into the club and their recruitment in what's what because I mean, we've spoken to quite a few people from the midlands we've spoken to quite a few people from london not so many from the northwest um i don't know how much you know about about the grassroots football clubs etc there're quite a few asian or predominantly asian grassroots football clubs
0: uh no. Well not that I know of because I've always like liked grassroots football. Like I, I go and watch West Didsbury sometimes with my mates um and like local clubs and they're not very diverse at all. Um and like I even did some of my master's like projects on grassroots football in Manchester. And, like, even when I did that research, I didn't come across any, like, Asian teams or anything. So I just think, like, football in Manchester is not diverse. And, like, listening to the other podcasts that you've done and, like, when they were saying that, like, your other guests were saying about there being Asians playing football now and loads of them still where I am. I don't see that. Like, I don't see many at all playing football. Like, they will be for fun, like, lads go play going to play five a side um but not like four teams
1: okay fair enough
0: kevin before we wrap up
1: any questions
3: no i think based on what i've heard i think we've covered a lot of stuff and it really goes to highlight the the issues that we still face particularly within or between clubs i think some of the some of the stories particularly the stories of man city anyway quite quite shocking and I think the fact that the stewards weren't even willing to get involved just goes to highlight the extent of the issue and this stems much further clearly than than just racism on social media so yeah lots lots of work to still be done and hopefully we'll sit here in maybe 15 years time if we're still doing this podcast then that these issues will hopefully be gone so yeah sad to hear but positive i think i
1: yeah, I mean, listen. It was it's was quite interesting for me just to hear more about the background at Manchester United. Given the support is so diverse, I'd have thought they'd they'd. I guess, I guess I'm surprised that there's not more diversity in in the back office kind of thing in the
3: marketing department. I think there's this, this vicarious thing, though, isn't it? You need to see people who are like you in positions to have that confidence and belief that you too can go and achieve those things. And this is when I I come back to the idea of competence, we need to have more competent Asians who are proficient in jobs in sport and particularly in football because competence is the driving force of getting jobs in football. And the more competence we deliver as a, as a community, the less opportunity we have to be turned down by, by, Um, the powers that be running these football clubs and then that reciprocally builds confidence in new generations coming through
1: yeah look I completely agree with the competence side but what Rupert's been talking about is the marketing side and there's I don't think there's any doubt that Asians can market or black people can market as good as anyone else that's I don't think it's ever been in doubt
3: it's well, just quickly well. then, Rupert, um, why, why did you go for the some, role then? Just out of curiosity, is there a reason why you chose to pursue this role at Manchester United? Why not, you know, a a law firm or another industry? Why, why choose Manchester United?
0: Um, well, because I obviously love football. <laughs> and, like, I, that was the only job that they were offering me at the time when I wanted to work for the club. Um, so it wasn't necessarily, like a choice that I made it just happened and I was there and I i got very lucky but then yeah I think like the fact that it wasn't diverse was also another reason maybe that I just didn't feel comfortable in it like people didn't relate to things when I said them and they'd make comments that were just insensitive um because there was no one there to tell them that's wrong like and then when I joined I was pointing stuff out and I, I just got the vibe that people didn't like it um and so yeah I just think like there's so much that needs to change in the structure of like football clubs and organizations like that
3: I always say we are on the right path now we are we are having conversations and we're on the right path because we've got people like Rupa in positions at football clubs that are inspiring the next generation to make children and young adults believe that Asians can succeed in these roles and that they can get roles at football clubs and you know like we had we had um We had uh, it on last week. We've had loads of other really inspiring Asian people working in football. Manisha Taylor as well is another great example, inspiring young Asian women to go and work in the game. We've got loads of great Asian people and Asian role models in the game now. And I I, I can say with complete confidence that in five years' time, we'll be sitting here with more Asians in the game because we have got that vicarious confidence developing within the Asian psyche now.
2: I I, I think what it is, there's, there's there's no real reason why there isn't, but also what you find out through this podcast and other mediums that there are actual Asians working in the game at different levels, right? And it's all about the visibility factor. And the visibility, sometimes it's not that you have to actually see it yourself. You just have to be made aware of it because you may not be aware. Like, um, would you know, like, we've had um, Raj Atwal on, right? We know about his journey where he's currently... Uh, working with Odisha in the Indian League, But in terms of how he got into the game and worked in the commercial department and then made that role his own, you wouldn't know that unless you heard a story or someone brought it to your attention, right? And even hearing about, about Rupa's journey as well, which is still very fresh and young and she's still on her road to achieving great things, hopefully, right? If we're not hearing about these stories, then how can we be inspired? So sometimes, yes, You can't be, I understand the phrase you can't be what you can't see. I get that. And you mentioned about competence real care, yeah. And those two are very, very valid points. But ultimately, if you could dig down very deep into the simplicity of it, awareness. Awareness of who's come before us, what roles they've had, and then that can be a user's inspirations for future generations. Say you can walk in this individual's footpath if you wanted to. Not not directly, but you're just being, the more stories and the more journeys you hear about, it's going to help build that kind of familiarity that we do have a place in this game at all levels.
3: I agree. I agree. And I think, I think this podcast in general, we've gone on a journey over the last couple of months as well because we've gone from identifying issues that we thought were the main causes in the game. And what we found out is that there are so many more issues that we haven't even... Begin, begun to scratch the surface of yet and in terms of our journey of exploring these issues throughout the podcast as well as having guests on like Rupert and obviously hearing both of your experiences as well we're starting to uncover these things slowly and I'm sure there's a lot of other factors that we haven't even touched yet which we will experience in the future so yeah I think I think you're absolutely right highlighting these issues and
2: exploring them in more details the way to go forward to bringing people's awareness to them. I think the, the biggest factor is um and I had a phrase in my head. It's just gone. It's gone. It's, it sounded so amazing in my head. So I've lost it. But I think it's the the it's, it's our commitment to consistency, right? As a podcast, our commitment to consistency of doing this every single week and highlighting different stories. That includes issues. We've got to tackle them. We've got to talk about them. But also inspiration as well. And inspiration is found in many forms. Like uh, listening to Rupert's story about playing the game and then not finding a spot to play or be not being treated seriously or any of that kind of stuff that might then help us identify that issue how we plug that gap how do we make sure that mm-hmm. young female asian footballer, aspiring footballers don't feel like Rupert did when she was at 17 right because we know that's a blocker or it's a, a potential potential blocker now what do we need to do make sure the next 17 year old don't feel like that and some of these things can you can get quick wins in certain areas like all of a sudden, in my head, I'm thinking about, well, Rupert, if you're still playing, Like I, I've spoken to a couple of um, Asian footballers who are playing in Italy and in Switzerland. So they've taken their career outside of England and gone to play out there. And it's almost like a different pathway to walk. And I know sometimes you want to be stay here and you only, you only see one route to entry or one route to progress. But like I was saying about stories, the more stories and pathways you hear about, the more you realise that. It's not linear. You can take a non-linear path to where you want to get to, Uh, and that's why I'm I I share Kev's like kind of enthusiasm and confidence that we are going to see better representation. We're going to see better progression in very, very, in a very short time frame because we're going to be made aware of more. You're going to get be made aware of more individuals, and when you collectively group them together, they'll provide you a spectrum of stories and pathways and experiences and that's who we can learn from. If you only know about one or two, that's all that's going to be in your head. Where if we can show the 30, 40, 100,000 all of a sudden we don't look so small anymore as, as a community or, or a group of communities. Nicely put. Nicely put. Thank you. That's what I was that's what I was silent for a minute. I had to think about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, was, it was worth the wait. Rupert, what next for you?
0: um i'm hoping to get a job in journal in sports journalism so i can talk about football report on football um and like i'll complete my coaching badges and hopefully coach like a local girls team that would be really fun (laughs) inspire like young girls that were in my position